Uh, back in the early 90s, I had the opportunity to visit a friend who worked in the Canadian Arctic. Um, his little town of Aravet, where the uh, uh, red arrow is, um, lay in around the shores of Hudson Bay. Uh, it was a vast, flat, barren wasteland, no trees, and nothing higher than a small hill. But littered throughout the area as you traveled were piles of stones like these called inukshuks. These piles of stones act as, as pointers, as points of refuge for folk out hunting, signposts to where they had left their camp. Maybe even if they felt lonely or lost, the stones would remind them that others had been there before them and so that it would encourage them to keep going. In the last number of years, they have become one of the national symbols of Canada, along with the maple leaf and the beaver and the mountie. But this morning I want us to look at some stones, some other stones. In Joshua uh, chapter 4, in some ways they were Old Testament inukshuks. But let's backtrack for a few moments to remind ourselves where we are in the story of Joshua and set the scene for uh, chapter 4. You remember that the spying mission of chapter 2 was a success and the men returned with a very encouraging report of what lay across the river and so Joshua moves the camp to the banks of the Jordan and prepares for the crossing over into the Canaanite territory. The procedure for crossing the river found in chapter 3 was very clear. The priests of, priest of Levi would carry the Ark of the Covenant in front of the people, and the rest of the tribes would follow about a thousand meters behind. The Ark was not merely going to show them the way, it was going to make the way for them. The Ark would be more than a symbol to them, like a flag being carried in front of an advancing army. It represented the very presence of God. God was with them. Now, the ark that they carried was constructed in the wilderness in Exodus 37 by a craftsman called Bezalel. It measured, it was a rectangular box made of acacia wood and measured four feet in length, two and a half feet in width, and two and a half feet in height. It was carried on poles, uh, inserted into the rings, one at each corner. It was covered with gold, and its lid was made of pure gold. At each end of the lid were cherubim made of hammered gold with outstretched wings, overshadowing the ark. The lid was known as the mercy seat. Contained, originally contained the two tablets of stone in which were written the Ten Commandments, and later stage, there was a jar of manna put into it, and Aaron's staff that budded was also added to it. You can actually buy that one online for $44.99. Don't think there's much gold in it, but it gives you an idea of what it was like. But the most important thing about the ark was that it represented the presence 
of God amongst his people. And so as the priest carrying the ark stepped into the Jordan River, the water stopped flowing and a path would open up in order to enable the people to pass through. Now it's true that the Jordan was passable at other places where it might have been shallower, but we read this interesting fact in chapter 3, verse 15, that the Jordan was in flood. It wasn't a normal river. It was a river in flood. And so verse 16, when the priests stepped into the Jordan, we read the, the waters piled up from Adam to the Salt Sea, a distance of about 20 miles. Someone has calculated that if the two million people who crossed over had marched in a square, a thousand abreast, approximately half a mile wide, and 2,000 deep, it would have required about half an hour, about an hour for them to pass through the Jordan. This miraculous image, which must have been an amazing thing to watch, was enough to conquer, almost conquer the land, because we read in the opening verse of chapter 5 these words. Now, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until we had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and no longer had the courage to face the Israelites." What we have in our reading in Joshua chapter 4 this morning is the description of the crossing of the river Jordan by the Israelites expanded in greater detail than what we find in chapter 3. In verse 2, 12 men were appointed from among the, tri the people to carry the stones, one representing each tribe. And the stones were told they were to pick up from the riverbed would be from the very place that the priests stood with the ark and these would then be brought to the place that they would camp that night, that first night in the promised land. So why would they do such a thing? Well, we read there that it was to be a sign to succeeding generations of what happened that day when they crossed over the Jordan. There were actually two memorials built that day. Joshua himself built the other one on the riverbed at the precise point that the priests carrying the ark had stood there in verse 9. The first one in Gilgal reminded the people of what had happened. The other one in the riverbed was to remind the people where it happened. But these stories, these stones, were to be memories. They were to be memories. Symbols can be very important. Living in Northern Ireland... You don't need me to tell you that. In a few weeks, we remember the fall of two world wars and other conflicts around the cenotaph in the diamond alongside the new UDR memorial. And then wreaths will be our symbols that we will not forget. Next week, we will sit around the Lord's table to remember what the Lord Jesus did for us on the cross. Then the bread and the wine will be our signs, our symbols, that we have not forgotten what he has done for us. This memorial in Gilgal was built to jog the memories of future generations and cause them to ask, what is the significance of the stones? 
They were there so that future generations would not forget. The problem for many today is that the church and the Lord Jesus are simply just memories, pleasant for a moment in their lives, but now they have passed on to something else that now that they're older or are married or they've left home or they have children or they have grown up or they have simply just got out of the habit. Remember many years ago uh, during the CSSM in Greystones picking up an old man who was thumbing at the side of the road. And, and when he got in, I noticed that uh, he was not as old as I thought he was, uh, he was a younger man with one or two too many in him. And during the short journey that I was uh, bringing him to where he wanted to go, we got talking. And he asked me why I was there, and I said oh, I was down with the CSSM. And he said, oh, he says, I remember that. Mr. Lewis. Mr. Lewis left in 1968, so this was probably about 19. 19- 80 or so, Mr. Lewis on the beach with the children and the stories. That was good fun. We learned things about God, he said then. Is that still going? Sadly, it was but a distant memory to him, something he had passed on from. And for so many today, that is what the church is to them. For some of us who are parents, it might grieve our hearts that we have children who faithfully went to Sunday school and church, and yet today they are nowhere spiritually and have no interest in the church. And it is but a distant memory to them. Please do not give up. If the seed is sown, and if only we pray for them and encourage them in a patient and quiet and sensitive way, then we must allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in their lives and in his time. These stones were not just to be placed at Gilgal and left for the people to occasionally wander by and reminisce. Do you remember the times we crossed the river? Or do you remember that event Granddad told us about the river stopping all those years ago? These stones were not just to be memories. These stones were to be meaningful as well. The use of signs and symbols to provoke questions and to teach the scriptures can be seen in other parts of the scripture. Uh, One of the, the questions when a child was asked during the Passover feast was, what does this mean? And then there would be an explanation of how they had been saved from the angel of death prior to them leaving Egypt. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses tells the people what they should say to their children when they ask the question, why do we have uh, to keep these laws? 6 verse 20, the parents would explain how God delivered them from Egypt And they were to say, the Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive. If we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. 
See, the Passover was a meaningful meal. It was a memorial of God bringing Israel out of Egypt, but it was also a celebration designed to remind the people of God's miraculous intervention on their behalf. The Passover was to be a celebration of their coming out of Egypt, while these stones at Gilgal would be a memorial of their coming into Canaan. These stones were to be, as I said at the start of the, the equivalent of Old Testament Anukshuks. They were to be stones of encouragement. They were to remind the people what had happened in that place. And for us today, the cross is not only the guarantee of our salvation and the defeat of the devil, but it can also be a constant reminder of what Jesus did for us. It is not simply something which we look back to, but it is something which should have meaning in our lives every day, and it should motivate us for living and serving the Lord every day as well. You see, if these stones were going to have any lasting value to the people when they crossed over the Jordan, then these stones, of, they had to be stones of motivation to motivate the people into service and living for God who had brought them there. There was battles ahead. The journey really had only started when they crossed over that day. Kenneth Kitchen, writing in the IVP Bible Dictionary, writes, Gilgal became a reminder of God's past deliverance from Egypt, a token of present victory under his guidance, and so the promise of his inheritance yet to be gained. Is that not, too, a picture of the table that we will sit around next week when we will eat and drink in remembrance of of the Lord Jesus, of a past deliverance, of present victory, and of a promised inheritance. A table full of memories of that night when the Lord Jesus was betrayed. A table full of meaning, bread broken, wine poured, a body broken, a life poured out. Next week should be a table to motivate us to do it until he comes again. A table to motivate us to live out its message before a watching world. A table that cannot be come to thoughtlessly or ill-prepared. And so this week should be that time when we prepare ourselves to come back next week and sit together and remember. Use this week wisely in that preparation. Gilgal would play a very important part in the life of the Israelites throughout their history. But as we know, not always in a good way. You read the prophets Amos and Hosea, they both condemned the people later on for abusing this holy place, forgetting about God, bringing their own sacrifices there, offering, to, offering them to their own gods and not to the God of their fathers. See, Gilgal was supposed to motivate the people into action, 
It was to drive them on, first of all, to take the land which had been promised to them, and then to settle it. It was to be a constant reminder of God's faithfulness that he was a God of his word. Gilgal was to be a constant reminder that it took God to bring them out of their bondage and slavery in Egypt. It took God to bring them into the land of provision and plenty. And from beginning to end, the whole activity was only possible upon their dependency on God. But if we do not remember, then we will forget. And that sadly was what happened at Gilgal. When we come to put our trust in the Lord Jesus and we ask for his forgiveness, he promises us, he promises to rescue us from the power of the enemy. It is an act of faith when we are rescued from the slavery of Egypt. And then through that same faith that we come into the promise and heritage, inheritance, which God enables us to worship Jesus every day. And the Lord's Supper, which we will celebrate next week, is such a sign. It's a symbol. It's reminding us of what the Lord Jesus did for us on the cross. It was a one-off act of which the consequences are to be ongoing for you and for me every day of our lives. And not simply on a Sunday morning when we come and sit at the table of remembrance. But just as it is a memorial and we do it in remembrance of him, so it should be meaningful as we see what the death of the Lord Jesus means for us. And that in turn should motivate us into action and service for him. Gilgal was to be more than a memory for the people. But I wonder, however, just as we close, is there a part of our Christian walk this morning which now is just a memory? What about the assurance of our sins forgiven? Is it a matter of hidden hope now? There was a time when we asked for his grace and mercy in our lives, and it was real and it was meaningful, but now, now maybe we're not so sure. What about our prayer life? Is it now a matter of say and hope when there used to be a time when our prayer life was real and meaningful? What about our desire to serve? Is it just a matter of saying nothing and then doing nothing or doing everything? Are we tired from constant service or do do we find meaning in what we do through motivation that we're happy to serve the Lord? Or are we just happy to sit back and allow others to do what we actually could help them with? What about our wonder of God? Is it just a memory when we remember how he did something great in the past, but that was then and this is now? Or do we find comfort and encouragement and strength in the fact that he is still a God who works wonders? And that should motivate us to an even closer walk with him day by day. Whatever the Gilgal was in our lives, whenever we entered, as Paul says, from death into life, it is not 
just to be a memory. It is to be a meaningful event which should continue to motivate us to service every day of our lives. I wonder this morning if the sticking point in some of our lives is that maybe we actually haven't crossed over. We're still in the wilderness and the promised land beckons across the Jordan and comes with a step of faith as the Lord holds back the enemies of heaven and allows us to walk through into the promise of eternal life and personal friendship with God himself. And I wonder, is that a step that you need to take, you're prepared to take, even as we close this morning. And then, and then come back next week and affirm that by sitting around the table and sharing in bread and wine. Gilgal was to be more than a memory for the children of Israel. And the cross and what the Lord Jesus did on it for you and for me is to be the same for us. Let us pray. <coughs> Father God, we pray that as we prepare ourselves this week for coming back to your table next week, that we would reflect on our lives, on our walk with you, on our commitment to you, on our faith in you. We pray, O oh God, that you would give us the courage to be honest with you and to have you deal with those areas of our lives that are now just a distant memory. So that as we come back next week, even with lots of memories, that they will be very meaningful and that they will motivate us to live for you, to serve you, to love you for the glory of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.